Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Uh, We started a series last week entitled Kindness Through Discipline. And remember in May we looked at the prophecies of Habakkuk, which is a really short three-chapter prophecy in the Old Testament. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. If you don't know Habakkuk, you may know Jeremiah. Jeremiah has one of the longest prophetic books in the Old Testament, and they are prophesying around the same general time period. And what time is this? Well, if you know a little bit about Jewish history, which not everybody does, um, there was one nation called Israel, and it was comprised of 12 tribes, uh, sons of Jacob, and grandsons for that matter. And uh, at one point in time in history, as a unified kingdom, they became split. It wasn't a civil war per se, but it's something on that same level. And they split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, if you're reading through the Old Testament, oftentimes goes by the name of Israel. So they retained the name and they are the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom. Sometimes the psalmist or other authors of Scripture will call them Ephraim. Okay, Ephraim was a larger territory, and so they just went by that name. Okay, so Israel or Ephraim were the northern kingdom. And then you have a southern kingdom comprised of two, some scholars believe three, because Simeon was kind of interspersed with the other ones, okay? But Judah and Benjamin were the two dominant tribes of the southern kingdom. And Judah is where we get our line of kings from, at least from the line of David. And therein lies uh, where we pick up the story today. What we find is that the northern kingdom had succumbed to the Assyrian Empire which reigned before the Babylonians. Babylonians were not as strong. They were a separate empire further west. But the Assyrians were just somewhat north of Israel. And so they came in, eventually took over the ten tribes of the northern kingdom and wiped them out, and they tore down their places of worship. And so all we have left during the times of Habakkuk and Jeremiah, for the most part, is Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Jeremiah has been given this task And it's not a great task. He's the bad news guy, okay? How many of you, some of you, probably shouldn't raise your hands in this. How many of you love to bring bad news? Because some of you are kind of warped, you know? Like, I love to bring bad news. No, hopefully you don't. Jeremiah had the unenviable task of basically being the mouthpiece of God to the southern kingdom, Judah, telling them that God is done with you. God is done. The Babylonians are at your doorstep, and as a matter of fact, God is using the Babylonians as his judgment upon the nation. They are going to come in. They're going to tear down every structure. Even the temple itself will be destroyed. And you then, who are still living, if you don't die 
will be dispersed throughout the empire, the Babylonian empire, at that time would have been the largest empire on earth under King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, we learn about through the books of Daniel uh, in the Old Testament, really specifically in the book of Daniel, but we learn about him through the books of Kings and Chronicles as well. But it would be the Babylonians' basically peak of their history when they take over the southern kingdom of Judah and they have amassed a wide array of land, territory, and have strengthened themselves over time. But today we find out that though Jeremiah was the bringer of bad news, he's often called the weeping prophet because he didn't want to have to be the one to do this. And he wrestled with God with this position. And he's like, I don't want to do this, but, but, but I can't not do this. When you were sold out for God, the way Jeremiah was, even bringing bad news is good even though it's bad. When you're fulfilling God's calling on your life. He was not liked by most of the nation, especially the kings of that day and age. Under Zedekiah, the final king of Judah, he would get a lot of persecution. He'd be thrown in dungeons, put in stocks. He would be persecuted by the government leaders of that day and age. Why would he be persecuted? By merely the result of being the message and the mouth of God to the people. How many of you love to hear bad news? I would hope you wouldn't raise your hand on that either. What do you think about the one who brings bad news to you? Especially if it's very tragic and difficult news to hear. What is the common word we use if you're the messenger of bad news? Don't shoot the messenger. Jeremiah felt that way. But God gives him a message periodically throughout his prophecies. A word of hope. That though judgment is coming and it cannot be averted because the people will not listen to God or his prophets, there will be a day when God will restore that which has been under judgment. After a period of judgment and punishment and discipline, God would restore back to the remnant of those who never bowed to any idol or God or gave themselves over to the worship of different pagan deities that he would restore them and bring them back into the land after a period of about 70 years. Now I want you to think for a minute. If that were to happen right now in the United States, God's judgment was imminent And he said, you've turned your backs on me so much. You dedicated yourselves to me some 250 years ago. You based your laws upon my documents, my word. And I've contended for some 250 years. And many times you've done good, many times you've done bad. But where you've done bad, you've corrected yourself. But now you've been on this slippery slope and you've gone into these dark places and so I'm sending the Chinese or I'm sending the Russians or they're grouping together and forming one entity to overtake you and it's going to be bad. 
They're going to tear down your capital buildings, your pentagons, your military might and power. They're going to destroy all of that. They're going to destroy all your religious buildings and structures. And they're going to take you group by group into various different regions of their own territories. If you heard that message by somebody like me or somebody like a Jeremiah who was faithful to God's word, what would you say? Would you fight against God's judgment or would you say, all right, Lord, if that's what you say, let your will be done even though it's going to be painful. That's where we find ourselves. Jeremiah is telling the people this. They don't know, many of them are like denying that because guess what? They have false prophets in the land. Those who are supposedly the prophets of Yahweh, not some other pagan nation, saying, Jeremiah's a liar. We're not going to get destroyed. Look at our military might. Look how good we are. I mean, there's no way we could be destroyed. And so we rely, they were relying on their own strength. And these false prophets who had been compromised into idol worship and doing things that God had explicitly said in his word, do not do, were telling the vast majority of people this isn't going to happen. Who would you listen to? Would you listen to the compromised prophets who were telling you what you want to hear, or would you listen to the prophet who's saying, guys, I wish that was the case, but it's not. You see, this is why when Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament and you read through the Gospels, what does he accuse the religious leaders of their forefathers of having done? You killed my prophets. Not the false ones, but the ones that I sent. Don't shoot the messenger. And they too would kill not just a prophet, but God himself. Is our church in our culture so blinded to the realities of the faults of its own making that we would kill the Son of God ourselves if he were to step into our churches today? Sadly, I believe we might. Because the question really lies in the culture in which you live and the churches are which, which are in that culture are the churches which we are a part of advocating for biblical values or are they advocating for a compromise of those biblical values? With arguments like, well, everybody interprets Scripture differently. But the reality is, if you, put that, if you put that comment to task, do we really interpret differently? Look over the course of 2,000 years of church, Christian church history. Yes, we factioned off and fractured, but there has been a core orthodoxy for 2,000 years. 
on the core theological and doctrinal topics of the church's history that have been non-negotiable. Have we always gotten it right? No. And the church should be the first to say, here's where we screwed up. And we screwed up right here within our history. All right, we should be able to own that. But the reality is, are there multiple interpretations of multiple core theological topics? No. The church universal has adhered to core doctrines that have been non-negotiable because there are black and whites within Scripture. There are truth statements that are non-negotiable. So Jeremiah... He's now speaking on behalf of God, and listen to what he says in Jeremiah 23. We're only going to read eight verses of Jeremiah 23. If you're reading along with me, I'm reading from the New Living Translation this morning. He starts out by saying, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people? Now, who are the leaders of God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah? Well, you have the kings, the government leaders, and their assembly of individuals, their advisors, who else are leaders within the southern kingdom of Judah? You have a high priest. You have uh, various other religious leaders like the scribes who are documenting the laws of God on a regular basis, the manuscripts of the Torah and the writings and the prophets in the historical documents. You have these experts of God's law. And he's saying, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the religious and the governmental leaders. Why? He calls them the shepherd of my sheep. For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. I, I can't help but see parallels. Do you see any parallels in this? Do you see any of our governmental leaders out for profit, out for fame, out for their own purposes? You know, the ones that are supposed to be public servants. Are they public servants? I'm sure there are some faithful in there. But the ones that get the most news and the greatest headlines are definitely not the ones that are remaining true to their call to be a public servant. And the religious leaders, how many religious leaders at a national level have you seen fall from grace, as we call it in a religious term, over the past five to ten years? How many in our own backyard? And many times we get disillusioned. We get disillusioned and we say, the heck with the church, the heck with the religious structures, and the heck with our government and our nation. Have you heard people say that? Of course, they won't say hack or all those Christian terms we use. You know, this is one of the reasons I hate Facebook. It's nothing but vitriol and venom. Even when somebody posts something positive and good, you'd think nobody could ever take that bad. If you read through the comments, it's horrible. God forbid you talk about something taboo, but even something innocuous can become very bad. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. And then he goes on. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. And I would say 
he probably uses air quotes. <laughs> Instead of caring for my flock, the people, my people, and leading them to safety, you have deserted them. And you've driven them to destruction. So now, I will pour out judgment on you for the evil that you've done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. Now, the word remnant pops up multiple times throughout the course of the Old Testament, especially in the prophecies and prophets. What is a remnant? I think oftentimes in terms of carpet. What is a remnant? Okay, you have, you're, you're doing a house, you're laying the carpet, and there's inevitably pieces that are left over that are called remnants. Now, oftentimes people will take those remnants, bind them, and put them to good use. If we're looking at the similar terminology, the remnant that God is talking about here are those who have remained faithful to God and his teachings and commands regardless of the shift of the culture. Do you know those are the ones that oftentimes get persecuted, that are mocked, that are laughed at, that are cursed at for remaining faithful? They're the ones that are called holy rollers, the obnoxious ones, the judgmental ones, the phobias would fit in that category. And so what is that remnant of God? What does he say? I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them. So keep in mind, God is driving them in exile throughout the empire of Babylon. And he says, but I'm going to care for and protect them. It's not going to be easy for them, but I will care for them. At one point in time, and you've heard me say this multiple times probably, and if you haven't, this will be the first time, but in one of the passages of Jeremiah, do you know what he instructs the people to do when they are in these various Babylonian towns throughout the empire? In cities he tells them <clears throat> it's gonna be a while so I want you to settle down in those towns I want you to have children build houses I want you to pray for the prosperity of the towns and the cities in which you are placed do you see what God is doing he's doing what he's always done throughout the course of history up to that point in time he tells Adam and Eve before the fall be fruitful and multiply Gain dominion. I'm giving you dominion over all the earth. That doesn't mean dominance, but dominion. I'm entrusting to you the care of that which I'm putting you or entrusting to you. So now he's doing it too in this context. He's saying to the remnant, I want you to go to these places. It's going to be tough and painful and not something you're used to, but I want you to settle in. Not to the cultural context but continue to remain faithful to me and pray for the prosperity of the towns in which you live, settle in, take jobs, and continue to prosper and multiply. Then he goes on, he says, I will bring them back to their own countries, excuse me, to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number 
And then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. That's the way, it's like God's putting a, a, a period at the end of a sentence. Period. <laughs> okay? He says, what I'm, basically, what I'm telling you is going to come to pass. Trust me. So now keep this in mind. They're going to be gone for 70 years. Some of them were in their upper years. Senior citizens, if you will, and they would be exiled into these different towns. Do you know what that meant for them? They would never see that day of return back to the promised land. They would never get to go back to Jerusalem. There were those who would die in exile, but does that mean God didn't care for them? No. He still loved them where they were. Because it's not about a place. It's not being at a place that is the most important for the body of Christ. It's about being. Do you catch that? It's not about your doing, but about your being. And you're saying, Brandon, you're not giving us good support for being a part of a local assembly of believers. No, no, no. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We should assemble together. We should sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. We should come together to study the word, to pray, to worship, to fellowship, to break bread together. We should be doing these things. But if you think that you're a believer in Christ just because you step through the doors of a church in any given community in our culture, that is a misnomer and completely wrong. It is about a faith and a belief and a Savior we call Jesus who loves you and gave his life for you. And that Savior was God in the flesh, the Son of God. And this is what he goes on to say. A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant. Not righteous descendants. Did you catch? He says, I'm going to put in place good shepherds. And then I'm going to raise up a descendant. Singular. From King David's line. <clears throat> he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. See, this king, this political leader, this spiritual leader will be a man who leads in a way that I desire. And his name, or this name, and this will be his name. The Lord and this is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What do we call that? Yahweh. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved. Now Judah is more along the lines of an analogy of God's faithful people. More than it is a specific group at this point. And Israel will live in safety. Do you catch what he's talking about here? What two kingdoms got destroyed? The northern and the southern. Do you see he's talking about a reunification and a restoring of that which was once lost? And how cool it is 
that we come to find that this descendant in the line of David would be called the good shepherd. And that none of his sheep would be lost because he would leave the ninety and nine and go and find the one. In that day, says the Lord, when people are taking an oath, they will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued the people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, do you catch what he's saying? He said, there's going to be a day that comes that we're not going to look to the exodus in Egypt as the point to where God was our salvation. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land, from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had exiled them, then they will live in their own land. And here's the takeaway. Even though people may fail us, I want you to hear this clearly, even though people may fail us, God will always come through for those who remain faithful to him. God is faithful. That is a part of his nature. I want us to quickly look at the destructive shepherds. Who were the destructive shepherds? I mentioned that there were false prophets who truly maybe had been prophets but had become corrupted and compromised. And they did not speak on behalf of God anymore. Or some of them just looked at the fame of being a prophet and stepped into it without a true calling from God. There's not much different today. You have any number of men or women who stand on stages across the United States, North America, anywhere else in the globe that will proclaim to have a word from God to the people of God that are false prophets and false teachers. Then you have to be careful. See, the, the problem is, though, like sheep, who are you following? If you stand on a stage and you have somebody telling you, follow me, be careful. You should have shepherds who are helping you understand the word of God and directing you to the good shepherd who should be who you're following. If you're following me or anybody else, there's, a, there's what I call the cult of personality out there. And people will follow other people, and sometimes to their detriment, to their own destruction. Because you maybe have a loyalty or an affinity toward the way somebody speaks or the way they act, or, or you know, like, they're really a good person, I really like them, and that's all good and well. And there are many good men and women who preach and teach the purity and integrity of the orthodoxy of Scripture. But do you know what the enemy does? Go all the way back to Genesis 3 and tell me what the serpent does in the garden as he's beginning to tempt Eve. He just takes what God said was good and he just, let's just adjust it slightly. God had told Adam, and Adam more than likely told Eve these words. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, you will die. Those are from God to Adam. Serpent comes up to Eve. You keep hearing me say this a lot, but I don't know that we truly understand this. This is how the enemy works. Did God really say that if you eat of the trees of the garden, you'll die? 
well, no, that's not quite right. There is one tree, it's not all of the trees. And, and Eve corrects him, no, 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 it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We aren't to eat it or even touch it or we'll die. Oh, oh, I see. See, here's the thing, Eve. That's not true. God knows you'll be just like him if you eat of that tree. You'll know both good and evil. At that point, consider with me philosophically, theologically, what did Adam and Eve only know at the, up to that point? They only knew good. Look at the Genesis chapter 1. At the end of every day, what does God say about the end of that day of creation? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. All they knew when they came into existence was the goodness of God and of his creation. But now there's a question on the table by someone who is not God saying, um, yeah, that's not true. Because if you eat this, you'll know both good and evil. You will be like God if you eat this. You've heard me equate this to being a dad. <clears throat> when our kids were way younger, um, they don't want to be like their dad now. And that's probably a good thing. But every kid who grows up in a home, <clears throat> whether their parent is good or not, they follow in the footsteps. They want to be like. They start to mimic those behaviors. They step into those big clodhopper shoes of mine when they were little and tromps around in the, in, in the house. And, and they would take on the same mannerisms. And they would say the same things that you would say even though you wouldn't want them to say everything you said. Now think about Adam and Eve. You will be like God, your father, your creator. I want to be more like him. See, the reality is they were more like him than they could have ever imagined they could be until they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they partook of that, they definitely knew what evil was because they realized evil is disobedience to God. And I've done what he said not to do. And he told me not to do that, not because he was trying to keep something good from me, but because he was trying to keep me and protect me from something that was bad and that would destroy me. And now this veil is pulled from their eyes. They see each other for who they really are, and they go hide in the bushes when they hear God coming. <clears throat> God's looking for them. I don't think it's because God doesn't know. Because <laughs> our parents know a lot more than we give them credit for, right? What are you doing in there? And we know what they're doing in there. We want them to admit it. Adam and Eve, where are you? And they finally come out of hiding and they're covered in foliage of the places that were once innocent, but now they're ashamed of because they stand naked, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and otherwise before the Lord. Who told you you were naked? And then the blame game comes. And though there's truth in blame, oftentimes there's a lack of accountability. See these destructive shepherds? 
were ones who were leading the people astray. They were justifying evil behavior, and they're saying, no, 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 what's going to happen? What, what Jeremiah is saying is not going to happen. This is just like the serpent in the garden. You know, what God said is going to happen is not going to happen. You're going to be fine. Go ahead, partake of this. It reminds me of a passage in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, the way to the kingdom is very narrow and the gate's narrow. Not many people choose that. But the way to destruction, basically the way to hell is wide. And the gate is wide. And many people choose that. Now look at the culture in which we live. Look at the culture in Jeremiah's day. And look at any culture across the face of the globe that has ever admitted that God, Yahweh, is their God. And then start to look at the shifting of the culture. The history of the nations. What became their downfall? Too much reliance on them rather than on him. And it's all because of destructive shepherds that speak a good game and can be very convincing to those who are not willing to do their due diligence. And so they graze in fields where they shouldn't be grazing. All the time eating poisoned grass <laughs> to their own detriment. But God says, I'm going to send you responsible shepherds. Good shepherds, shepherds who are truly after my own heart. And we know later on, if you continue on in the Scripture, you find people like Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and other individuals who rise to the top of leadership. Esther would find herself in this role during the period of exile Later on, after the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians came in and they took over the kingdom of Babylon. And in that period of time, Esther finds herself in a harem for the emperor. And you think, how can God use a woman who is basically a part of a group of women who were there at the disposal of the king for sex? God can use anyone at any time in any position to do amazing works. Amen. The church has maybe sold you on a bill of goods that oftentimes it has to be this way, this way, or this way. But you cannot do an honest study of Scripture and not see His hand in many different ways than we've basically said. You can only work this way, God. And then we, oftentimes, who stand on stages like this or stand in classrooms, will promote something that is our personal bent rather than biblical theology. And we will promote a false teaching because it's uncomfortable for us to teach the truth. Be careful. God puts good shepherds in place. And these good shepherds have been in exile and they've remained a part of the remnant, and they've listened and tuned their ears to God, even though they too are under judgment living in exile. But God, at just the right time, brings these good shepherds back, puts them in places of authority, and they do amazing works. And they begin to lead the people, and they begin to lead kings of foreign nations because they are put in positions of authority. By God himself. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. 
What more trusted position could you get than to be the one who tasted the wine before you gave it to the king? Why? Because your life was on the line. How many people tried to assassinate emperors and kings of that day and age? And maybe even today? By poisoning their drink or their food so it can, they can elude who uh, capture for having assassinated somebody of power. So Nehemiah had to be trusted. Take a drink of my wine and a bite of my food before you give it to me. That was his job. Highest level of authority. And then he starts to be downcast because he catches news of what truly happened in their exile. The place of worship, the center of all religion for the Jews is destroyed. Where does God come down now? He's supposed to come down. The high priest is supposed to go into the Holy of Holies. They are supposed to make sacrifice for the sin of the people. How can this be? And now they've built the temple back, but the, but the walls around the city lay in ruins. And, and what's to keep this from happening again? And he's wrestling. There's something needs to be done. I don't know what to do. How, what, what am I supposed to do? And he's a cupbearer to the king. He has no authority. But the king notices. You're downcast. What's up with you? Did you poison my drink? <laughs> oh, king, no. I, I just got word from my brother that I know it's no longer a nation, but the capital city of my people just lays in ruins. And actually, the wall of fortification is still just destroyed. I mean, though we've been allowed to go back, we're going back to ruins. And it just breaks my heart. I don't know what to do about it. Well, what can I do for you? Well, could you give me 12 years? <laughs> and let me go back home. Because it, it was about 12, 11 or 12 years. Let me go back home. And can I take all the lumber I need from the king's forests? And can I take the building materials that I necessarily need to do this project? Can I use basically the bank account of the Medo-Persian kingdom? Can I do that? And God had placed Nehemiah in the right place at the right time. He placed Esther in the right place at the right time. He placed Zerubbabel, who helped to rebuild the temple, in the right place at the right time. And these shepherds that God put in place resurrected what was once destroyed. All in obedience to God. And then the other part to this was, hey, I'm going to put shepherds in place that are going to do the right things and reestablish my people in my place of worship. But I'm also eventually going to send a descendant of David, the promised Messiah. The Lord is my righteousness. <laughs> and he will establish a kingdom that will last forever. He will be there. And he will fortify and shore up that which is insecure and faulty. 
this descendant will be great. This descendant will be a shepherd of my people. Listen to this. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 17. I realize this is a lengthy passage, and you're like, whatever, you're long-winded anyway. And so let me read this, the words of Jesus. He says to his disciples and those who are nearby, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief or a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Do you remember he's talking about good shepherds, Jeremiah is, and now Jesus is talking about shepherds, and he's talking about good shepherds. Good shepherds protect the sheep. The gatekeeper, he says, opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Do you know what's interesting about this? Have you seen multiple people call sheep? You may not. But herds of cattle, sheep, and, um, and other livestock, they tune their voice to the one who feeds them the one who cares for them, the one who protects them, so that so much so, after a while, they get attuned to his voice. And they have certain calls. I grew up around farms, and suck, suck, suck. There was one of the ones for pig calling. Or, I know it sounds weird, but trust me, I'm a southern boy at heart. And I've heard my uncles call the cattle in. I've heard them use, something like that you know and they come running and 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 they'll you know why don't you try it Brandon waka, waka, waka. and they stop I'm not kidding it's true Jesus is telling them some very important stuff that they already know because they live in a culture uh, an agrarian culture and Jesus is telling them something that they can relate to And now he's switching it to a spiritual context. Listen. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. He doesn't walk behind them driving them. He walks ahead of them talking to them and they hear his voice and they follow They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Now, those who heard Jesus use this illustration, some of them didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. In that day and age, there would be a barrier or a walled-in area called where they would keep the sheepfold in the shepherd the good shepherd would lay across the opening and the sheep would never jump over that to go in or to go out he says i am the gate for the sheep those who came before me were thieves and robbers but the true sheep the remnant did not listen to them yes i am the gate and those who come in through me will be saved you can't hear that any clearer There is no other way to be saved except through Christ. I hear elements of six chapters later, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
or excuse me, four chapters later. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Have you been a part of the faith to where you've experienced a rich and satisfying life? It didn't say perfect. It didn't say without trouble or trial, but a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, Isaiah 53. A hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf will attack them and scatter the whole flock. Oh, how that's happening in our day and age. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I've met many a pastor, sorrowfully so, who are in the ministry and listen, you don't get into the ministry to make a lot of money. I, I'm just telling you. But there are some in it because they think it's an easy job, and they treat it that way, and it's, it's kind of like, well, I only have to work one day. I get that all the time. You only work one day. Come and follow me. Shadow me for a week or two. Come on. It'll be fun. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so when a wolf attacks them, this, the flock scatters. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And then he goes on to say, I have other sheep too who are not of this sheepfold. Who is he speaking to predominantly? What is the group of people he came to speak to? The Jewish people. Who is he talking about? Well, unless you are Jewish, he's talking about you. He says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. You know who that shepherd is? Jesus. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me, Jesus says. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have this authority to lay, I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. That's a pretty powerful statement if you understand what he's saying. For this is what my Father has commanded. As our worship team comes forward to close us out today, let me close with this illustration. There's an um, author. How many of you remember the guy by the name of Philip Yancey? He was a white dude with an afro. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking Some of you are like, I have no clue what you're talking about. But he wrote many Christian books and studies through the years. Um, he writes, I remember my first visit to Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park. He said, rings of Japanese and German tourists surrounded the Old Faithful geyser. Their video cameras trained like weapons on the famous hole in the ground. He says, a large digital clock stood beside the spot predicting 24 minutes before the next eruption. He said, my wife and I passed the countdown in the old dining hall 
room of Old Faithful, of the Old Faithful Inn overlooking the geyser with all these plate glass windows there. He says, when the digital clock reached the one minute mark, we, along with every other diner, left our seats, rushed to the windows to see the big event. He says, I noticed immediately as if on signal a crew of busboys and waiters descended on the tables to refill water glasses and clear away dirty dishes. And when the geyser went off, the tourists oohed and awed and clicked their cameras and a few spontaneously applauded. But glancing over my shoulder, I saw that not a single waiter or busboy, not even those who had finished their chores, looked out the huge windows. He says, Old Faithful had grown entirely too familiar to them and had lost its power to impress them. Even though God may discipline his own people through judgment, he still comes through for those who remain faithful to them. These people throughout the Old Testament are called the remnant, the people who continue to remain loyal to God even when the rest of the world or culture rejects him. In your walk of faith, let me ask you this question. Have you become too familiar with a certain concept of God that you've lost interest in Him altogether? Oh, you've done the church thing all your life. You, you've, you've heard the stories. You know the, you know the language. You can speak the, speak the talk and walk the walk. <sighs> but it's become like eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich way too long that you've gotten sick of it. Can I ask you if you've gotten sick of it because you've stalled out and stagnated? Maybe? Maybe because you've stopped and haven't taken ownership of your own faith? I don't know. I know as a pastor, I can get stuck in a rut from time to time. I can stick, uh, stick out in a wilderness spot for a while and just like, oh, I feel like I'm going through the motions. You ever feel like that? Day in, day out. Familiarity ends up breeding contempt and you hate the familiarity. You see, what we've done is we've, we've stopped when we get to that point and we said I'm just done I need or we say I need a God I need a break we don't say this out because we we know it's probably internally wrong God I need a break from you but we justify it by saying God I need a break from church please understand like I said earlier it's not about coming to a place it's about a relationship to him and being a part of the body of Christ I, I told you before I pray this prayer before I stand up on any stage to bring a message. And it's Psalm 51. And though I've never done what David did by committing adultery or having a person murdered, I pray this prayer before I get on stage. Create within me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, please don't cast me away from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation.
and renew a right spirit within me. Do you know why I pray that? Because it's easy to get up on this stage, speak some words, go home, and do it all over again the next week. But I truly believe in a God who will hold me accountable for every word I speak. And I truly believe in a God who loves me more than anyone else on the face of the earth. And it's him who I desire to please. And that's why I get up every week, every day, even when I don't feel like it, even when it becomes too familiar, I say, create within me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Not a familiar spirit, but a right spirit. And don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because I'm kind of just feeling humdrum and drab. And could you renew a right spirit with me? The right kind of spirit I should have and not the kind of going through the motion spirit. If that's where you are today, as I have been in my own life, maybe it's time to start seeking God while he may be found. But Brandon, I do. Maybe you should start seeking him in a way that you can see him in a different light. I'm not saying compromise the beliefs that you have or compromise the scripture, but maybe God's trying to show, maybe you're at a point where he's like, I'm wanting to show you something else, but you're stalled out, and I can't show you something else until you are fully on board with me. I've been there. He's like, I want to take you to another level, but, and it's going to be difficult, but I need you to be willing to stretch yourself to, to get up to this point with me so that I can show you something else amazing. Our altars are always open. The steps are open. You want to be prayed for and prayed with, you come to my right, your left. If you want to just pray alone, come to my left, your right. Those of you that are watching from home or in your cars, don't pray with your eyes closed while you're driving. That's very dangerous. But make sure you spend some time maybe contemplating, considering where you are in your walk with Christ and whether or not you've stalled out because it's all become so too familiar that you've decided to not do exploratory surgery on your own soul. Father, in this place, God, we know that you've been present with us. And I know, God, that you only stay where you're welcomed, and we welcome you here. But, God, I know you aren't leaving the building just because we're closing out the service, that you're here, that you're willing, arms open wide to embrace those who are ready to go to the next level or maybe the first step into faith altogether that don't know you at all. Father, remind us that when we start to stagnate, it's time for pressing in and going to that next level with you instead of bowing out because you've become all too familiar to us. Remind us that worship of you is not about a place and time, but about spirit and truth. Forgive us where we failed you, where we've given in to 
the arguments of other people who are living compromised life, but they sound so convincing, God, that why shouldn't we believe what they have to say? Help us to be students of your word so that when there are false teachers or false teachings or prophets, God, that we can stand sure and uncompromised in the truth while also speaking the truth in love. Forgive us where we've not done that. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.